Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Happy holidays. Yay! It's Christmas time. It's, it's Christmas time. It's the holidays. Time to get drunk. Lots drink, of food. Drink. Eat. Do I dumb do, stuff. I do find it is an excuse for me. You hear that? Dude, I totally that was heard my that stomach. was your stomach. Oh my God. Did you actually hear that in your yeah, headphones? I heard it in my headphones. I wonder if Because we mentioned food. <laughs> On and cue. It, and Amber's stomach's wow. like, food? What? What? Your, your stomach was the equivalent of a German shepherd hearing the word food and its wow. ears pop up and it runs Starts over to, to you. drool? Oh my God. Huh. If you don't hear, if you didn't hear her stomach growling, <laughs> Just I just crank up your headphones on uh, your phone or whatever yeah, you're listening to yeah, this on. Okay. That cut right through the microphone. Wow. That's okay. insane. Well, cool. So what were you saying? Well, I was just saying that this is the time of year where I can make every justifiable excuse as to why I can put something in my mouth. Guilt-free. I am not doing that this year. Uh, I because you go to Trader Joe's and they have all the delicious Christmas cookies and things and like chocolates and I'm like ah. you you helped me indulge last night a little bit which was nice that's because you were sick I was not feeling well and, and I wanted and I really for some reason I wanted spaghetti yeah well we didn't have any sauce and I hate going to the store for one stupid thing because what will I do oh I'll buy. Ten thousand stupid things. Like, oh, there's some well, sauce. you didn't tell me that yesterday. Oh, like, there's a Hello Kitty, like something cool. Oh, did I stick this in water and it grows? I'm gonna buy that. Like the Target dollar store area or the dollar section, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like doing that. So but I had to settle for lasagna. We had a frozen lasagna. Uh, it's not like I'm promoting Trader Joe's, but that's pretty what we good. Had, and they have a solid, pretty solid. Uh, it was pretty good. Frozen lasagna. I can't. I can't complain. No. I enjoyed it. And I feel like you were like, but I want spaghetti. And I'm like, it's just like Mexican food. It's a different way of rearranging <laughs> the meat, cheese, lettuce. It's the same with the sauce, noodles, cheese, yeah, it's, meat. It's not much different. No. No, it, it was it was pleasurable. This year, though, I am not going to – I mean, I'm going to have a meal, but I'm doing – I mean, I'm I'm taking part like in my, you know, my whole – my CrossFit thing that I do now. I'm taking part in the Christmas Eve Liftmas, Christmas Liftmas, we call it. Uh, which is going to be like some ridiculous workout that's going to make me probably throw up. So I'm going to try to. I'm I'll gonna, be doing the Christmas this with my with your fork. With cookies. <laughs> with my fork. The fork is my barbell. <laughs> the fork is my barbell. <laughs> I I did all right with Thanksgiving. See, we had because we had the bad. We had Thanksgiving, which I got through that pretty good. I maintained, and then we had our trip last week that we talked about um, when we went to Milwaukee. Which we didn't, you know, it was only one night. We didn't go too crazy. We had a few beers and had some sausage, and that was about it. It wasn't too bad. No. But it was that shitty road food we were eating, though, too. It was too. just we, some chips and some... We got some Cheetos. Whatever. My, my complete weakness. Not the end of the world. So I'm not justifying that this year. I'm going to maintain, because I want to get my weight down even further than it is now. Because I'm down officially, like, 23 pounds. Mm. 23 pounds. That would take me a year to lose. 23 pounds. I hate men. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Oh, I'm also killing myself though too, Amber. So it's a whole different story. That's a whole different conversation. No, but men just seem to lose more weight, like easier than women. I don't know what it is. Like you just go, I'm going to diet, and then you lose five pounds just saying diet. It's not easy though. I'm still, I know it's I'm not easy, but I, there is something you, you live with me. You know, physiologically different with men and, and losing weight. So happy holidays, everybody. We wish everyone the greatest time this year, and we have some really interesting stuff for you guys to listen to. While you're making your Christmas ham or whatever you're Christmas doing. Christmas stories. Christmas stories. Christmas ghost stories. Christmas or I should go- say Christmas stories with a supernatural spin. Super awesome Christmas stories with a supernatural spin. Yeah. Ultra cool, supernatural, From, awesome Christmas oh my stories God. with a supernatural okay. spin. Oh, my God. With a cherry on top. Okay. Ho, so, ho, ho. Okay. So our guest is author Mark Anspaugh. And awesome, dude. Super cool show because yeah. we actually got some genuine storytelling which is not something i think has ever been done on the history think, of the show i don't think we yeah i don't think we've ever had that i don't think we've had someone deliberately come on and read stories that they've written yeah and, and well written stories yeah totally totally so and this is kind of funny because i wanted to quiz mark about this but maybe we're gonna have him back for sure oh yeah yeah but just the first things in his bio i was like what that is these things are all so random i must know more yeah so mark Onspaugh is a california native and the author of over 50 published short stories like many writers, he is perpetually curious, having studied, here's the four things that I was like, what? Having studied psychology at UCLA, exotic animals at Moorpark College's EATM program. Do okay. not know what that stands for? Exotic animals. Um, yeah, oh, good idea. 
improv comedy with the groundlings yeah. and special effects makeup with Thomas R. Berman, Rick Baker, and Rob Botton. So I don't know. They must be experts in that field. Yeah. Okay. Google it. Well, yeah. So I was like, okay, that is so random. I love it. I want to talk to him more about that. But Mark has also written for film and television, and he's the author of the focus of this show, Christmas Ghost Stories, a collection of winter tales, featuring well over a dozen stories which can be read alone or sewn together. Onspaw's original Christmas ghost stories entertain with supernatural flights of fancy, mysterious creatures, and four interwoven fairy tales from the shadowy Black Forest. Nominated for a prestigious Pushcart Prize, writer Onspa is delighted to have been compared to his favorite authors, Ray Bradbury and Stephen King. I love Ray Bradbury. And one of the stories that you get to hear on this show is actually unpublished. It's yet to be published. You're, so you're getting a sneak peek. Sneak peek. So enjoy author Mark Onspa in our discussion about Christmas ghosts. <laughs> Spa, thank you so much for taking some time to come talk to us here on Ghostly Talk. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Um, now, we brought you here for a special reason, because you wrote this really cool book called Christmas Ghost Stories, a collection of winter tales. Now, yes. I guess the main, I mean, it's very easy to ask the obvious question, but one thing we've been, we were, we've been chatting about a little bit here on the show has been this idea uh, we're, we're finding that there's like this darker movement i think uh if that's a, a good way to put it into the pop culture of christmas and the holidays it seems like it's yeah. we're seeing this starting to permeate its way into it now um over the last maybe i would say five or six years some people say longer uh and it's um, we were wondering like it, did that have any did it have any place in your inspiration of putting together Christmas ghost stories, a collection of winter tales? It didn't really. Um, about 10 years ago, my wife and I threw a Christmas party, and we had a fire pit outside, and she suggested that uh, some of us tell ghost stories. And the only two that did were my wife and I. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I told a story about a demon and then later she said, you know, that, that was really good. You should write some more stories like that and put them together. And so that's what I did. So I guess the next question I have then with that, Mark, is, um, I mean, I guess, you know, because you were just saying that, you know, you, this, this book came from you guys telling stories. Why do you think there is more ghost tales, I guess, you know, fiction or nonfiction, it don't matter, that center around the holidays and Christmas and stuff like that? Why do you think there's so, there's so many tales? Because there's a, there's, a, there's a lot out there, I think. Uh, why do you think there's so many oh, yeah. out there? Well, I think, yeah. you know, it's, it goes way, way back um, because when the nights are very long, the days are short, people tend to gather together, you know, whether it's in a cave or a longhouse or whatever. And certainly in those pre-cable internet days, they told stories. And I think the oldest stories are about heroes, monsters, you know, the land of the dead. And um, I, I think, um, you know, Christmas was kind of on the outs under Cromwell. And he was sort of, if I may make an 80s film reference, which probably a lot of people won't get, but he was sort of like Dean Wormer of Animal House, you know, no fun of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that held sway for like almost 200 years. And then around the time of Dickens, people were starting to get back to Christmas's uh, older roots, which uh, are pretty barbaric and uh, interesting. Um, you know, when it was called Yule, um, around the Germanic peoples, you know, and they had the wild hunt. Excuse me, I'm swallowing my own spit. <laughs> um, they, uh, 
you know, the wild hunt with Odin, you know, and these uh, fey folk, you know, yeah, yeah. on this hunt. And if you saw the hunt, you'd die, or at least you'd know war or plague were coming. You know, and there's some really dark stuff in the history before it was Christianized. And people started returning to that, and they started dancing again and singing carols. And weirdly enough, when Dickens wrote Christmas Carol, which was based on his own memories and stories of Washington Irving and people like that, uh, the first commercial Christmas cards were being released. And also merchants were looking for a new holiday to kind of exploit for sales, and so they decided Christmas was the one, and we all know where that went. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think uh, Christmas is now celebrated in September as far as uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> stores yeah. are concerned. Um, so I think Christmas has always had uh, very dark underpinnings. And then you you couple this with a time of year, which is like Halloween. You know, the days are very short. And, um, you know, people feel that the, the veil between the two worlds, the living and the dead, is very thin and stuff can get through. You know, whether it's ghosts or vampires or, you know, Krampus or what have you. And, um, you know. Yeah. But all this presages or predates this uh, cramposity that we have now. Well, you know, it's if I may coin a term. Yeah. <laughs> cramposity. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I know one of the things that I heard, and I could be totally off on this, like our, our, like our interpretation of what Santa Claus looks like. And if Amber, Mark, tell me if I'm wrong. But from what I understand in history, our interpretation of like the, the image of Santa Claus was actually done by Coke. It's true. Coca-Cola. Fact. Coca-Cola were the ones that kind of made that image of what we see. Fat, white, and jolly. Yeah, with a big old beard and the red suit and stuff like yeah. that. And that was Coca-Cola. And I mean, for the same reason that everything else is, seems like around I, the holidays is to sell products. What was that, Amber? Yeah. I was going to say, I think the original or more closely... Well, who knows what St. Nicholas looked like because he lived a long time ago. But like when we were... Two-inch fangs and claws. No, no, no. <laughs> but I think when we see the That's more... evil brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when we see the European uh, equivalent of St. Nicholas and he's actually tall, skinny... With more of like the religious clothing on, I think that's probably more of a, a truer portrayal of what that guy looked like maybe in real life yeah. versus, yeah, this um, fictionalized, money-making right. fat guy. Now, I've, I've also heard that um, the Russians or uh, somebody like them um, kind of evoked – you know, psychedelic mushrooms in Santa's appearance, you know, those kind of uh, mushrooms that are red with white spots. Yes. Yeah. That I guess, um, you know, make reindeer fly. Um, oh. <laughs> and um, I think, didn't Nast, isn't he the one that illustrated The Night Before Christmas? And I, he, tell I mean, that poem also describes Santa, you know, sort of in the way that we know him today. So. I'm wondering if Coca-Cola actually just, Looked I think Coca-Cola made the kind of the iconic Santa. Yeah. You know, the the one that, you know, with the merry cheeks, you know, and yeah. there's not a hint of anything um, malevolent or dark about him. He's just a jolly old elf and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so he- I, I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's just evolved over time and certainly advertising has played a huge part in the way we celebrate Christmas. You know, and um, well, it seems for like, good or ill. Yeah, and it it seems like, and it makes. I mean, I, I this could be just one master plan. I mean, as you said already, and I agree a hundred percent. We start celebrating Christmas in September nowadays, if not earlier. Um, yes. So, I mean, I you know, and I don't want to turn this into some big conspiracy theory show, but I mean, I I wonder. I mean, because. Obviously, like Yule and things like that, and the these these roots and origins of the holiday, as we've already established, they're not really pretty. They're not cute. They're not sweet. Um, they don't no. and they don't invoke joy very much. Um, so you have now you have a group of people who are like, well, we want to sell a bunch of stuff at one time of the year, you know. And I have. I mean, for example, just to kind of put this in perspective, I have friends that own businesses that that are retailers, and they literally tell me, they're like, look, bottom line here, 75 to 80% of my sales happen between the the months of like October and December, 
mainly in December, yeah. right? He's they're like that's when that's my time of year as a, as a retailer. So I wonder if this was something that was put together. And again, I'm not putting the tinfoil hat or anything on here, but I wonder if this was something that was like, okay, we have this this tradition. Why don't we take this and kind of massage it and turn it into something way more pretty and sweet and use this as a catapult every year to make money. I mean, I, I don't know any nice way to say it, to make money and uh, to sell lots of product, whatever it may be, whether it is cans of Coca-Cola or people's shirts or I don't know, suitcases, whatever it might be. I, I mean, I wonder if this was something that was just built off like that. I don't really know how to eloquently say it. I mean, am I making any sense to you guys at all? Or am I no, just I, tripping I, out? I, I think that's true. And, and um, as I was mentioning in, in England, you know, they were trying to come up with a holiday to kind of goose sales. And um, Christmas seemed like a natural since it was coming back into uh, public acceptance and vogue. And people were tired yeah. of the repressive kind of no singing, don't even celebrate Christmas. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not what you do. And, of course, people love to celebrate. And, um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of drinking and carousing, you know, and people were having a great time. And then, you know, this idea of gift giving kind of grew out of this, I think, the St. Nicholas myth or truth, if you want to go that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, they capitalize on that. Well, you want to give presents, don't you? You know, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So, you know, load up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, <laughs> and I, I think the, the dark stuff is not only Christmas's uh kind of prehistory, but I think, you know, people that are kind of tired of the commercialism and the kind of the crass uh, marketing, you know, they kind of gravitate, you know, in the other direction, you know, so you have Krampus, you have this, have you heard of Belsnickel? No. no. What is it? Belsnickel is, is like somebody, uh, Krampus is like from Central Europe, and Belsnickel is something Germanic that the Pennsylvania Dutch imported to America and Belsnickel can be either a man or a woman and is sort of an amalgam of Santa Claus and Krampus. And it's a very hairy, furry, kind of scary individual that they will actually let into their homes during Christmas time. And this, this entity like questions all the kids, have you been good? Did you make your bed? Do you do your homework? And if they say yes, then they get like a peppermint stick or a candy and if they say no, then they get switched. Oh, God. <laughs> That's similar to Krampus. So he does, he, she does both, you know, gives gifts, gives punishment. But if you think about it, Santa Claus kind of does the same thing because the traditional one, he leaves a lump of coal in your stocking yeah. if you've been naughty. Well, yeah. And Santa Claus, I mean, now being old now, like I am and knowing what I knew growing up, that was always something my parents would hammer me with every, you know, throughout the year if I was being a real idiot, which I was very often growing up. Um, I They would always say things like, uh, you know, look, if you, this is like, we're talking like March or something, right? And I'd be doing something <laughs> stupid like, dude, look, cut it out or Santa isn't going to bring you anything for Christmas, right? So right. now we're using Santa as, as a, no, I shouldn't, I mean, is a disciplinary tool for parents. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it either. I, 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 it's perfectly fine, but people are using that to, to discipline their children and keep their kids in line. And believe me, it kind of, when you're, if you're young enough, that put the fear in me. Cause I really wanted that Atari system or that train set, whatever it was come around, come December 25th, I wanted those presents. So I would be better. So yeah, that, that, that is, that is part of what, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus was, I guess, was that idea too. I didn't know about that one though. You were just talking about that's crazy. It, it, yeah, it's just like kind of makes me glad I didn't grow up in that community. Um, probably, probably would have gotten switched a couple of times. <laughs> oh, I'd have been. Beaten. You'd have been beaten bloody. I'd have been beaten bloody. <laughs> well, well, I mean, left now, in the snow. <laughs> now, but I wonder if I. What was this? What was the name again? Because I, I I couldn't. Bell Snickel. Bell Snickel. Bell Snickel. It's B E L S N I C K E L. Wow, that's a mouthful. Okay, so it, yeah, Bell Snickel. I but is it the same thing with Bell Snickel? Because there's been songs written about this idea of Santa Claus that 
Well, he knows that you're, he knows you're naughty or nice, but couldn't you? I mean, okay. So Belsnickel walks in. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Belsnickel? And have you been? Have you? And he and Belsnickel says, "Hey, have you been good or bad this year?" Couldn't I just BS him and say, "Oh, I've been great." No, because he knows he's what's inside your head. He knows. Okay. Yeah. So that's a, that's that. He knows. Yeah, because he's supernatural. So he he's in there. You can't lie to Santa I think, yeah, I or Belsnickel. Because if you're truthful, you probably get off a little lighter than if you tell a lie. Okay. And then he says, well, I know you threw that puppy in the well or whatever it is. <laughs> okay. And, uh, oh. you know, here's your switch. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, okay. I mean, that just, that just to me, and I don't want to go in the weeds too far here, but so, he, so Belsnickel knows if you've been bad or good. Just knows. I, I yeah. believe Belsnickel knows. Yes, just and like Krampus knows. Just like Krampus knows. They all know. Isn't that just... <laughs> so you better watch out. But that to me, and they, and they know if you're lying, though, too. And I mean, I'm just, this is just, these are just rhetorical ideas I'm throwing out there. I'm wondering, what are we, what am I getting, what am I getting the head shake for, Amber? Because <laughs> we've established this fact. It but just knows. I want to ask, <laughs> but what, the reason I ask, the reason I'm saying this, though, is... Isn't that like that's just a religious thing? That's like Christianity, right there. I mean, and I mean again, I'm not trying to go too far into the weeds, but um, but like it's God. Well, yeah, not God. Well, I well guess. you know, it, it is. It is. It is kind of you know. It's like Santa. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Yeah. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness' sake. That's my point. And it's telling a kid not even to pout. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like. Like Santa is sort of like an Old Testament God in a way, you know, in that song. Yeah, you see. I now, mean, he knows everything and he meets out justice the way he sees fit. See, and, and Amber's sitting here shaking her head at me when I'm trying to establish this point. Just, sometimes it, your points take a while, so okay, I was well, laughing I'm sorry. at you. Sorry. I just. I, <laughs> okay. I just it, it just. That's what I just kept drawing that line. I'm like, well, I know that, you know, I've, in the, what I've, you know, talked about with Christianity and things like that, it's like, well, they, he just knows if you're lying. He just knows. So you better just be honest. Just be as honest as you can, and you'll get off easier, right? So, yeah. So let's talk about the book, though. We've been <laughs> we, we, Christmas Ghost Stories, a collection of winter tales. Uh, and there's a handful of stories in here. Now, I don't know. We talked about this during the week. Did you want to did did give us a couple of these stories, like read a couple of these stories to us, Mark? Or did oh, sure. You, could yeah, you do that? Sure. I, uh, you know, I have four in front of me. Uh, Two are very short, and I don't know. Um, I have one that's kind of sweet that I want to end on, but yeah, you know, I don't know if if there's not time permitting. You know, feel free to edit. It's no, it's time permitting, and, and so now everyone's going to get their Christmas ghost stories this way. This is awesome. Yeah. from from you, Mark. Yep. Thank you. Uh, the floor is yours. Whenever you're ready, sir. Okay. The first uh, story is called the three. It was 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and the barman was ready for the usual collection of revelers, lost causes, and unclaimed souls that would wander in and have to be shooed out at closing. In his five years tending bar at the Four Crowns, he figured he had seen every type you could imagine from every country on earth. So when the gaunt man walked in, he was a little taken aback. The newcomer was tall, easily two meters, but couldn't have weighed more than six or seven stone. The gaunt man was dressed in threadbare pants and a black hoodie. The hood pulled low enough to obscure most of his face. The barman wondered if this might be a robbery and wished the fellow well because he had a cudgel under the bar that had been a gift from his great uncle in Dublin. Besides, what sort of person robs a pub on Christmas Eve? The gaunt man approached the bar and the barman detected a wheeze. The gaunt man placed a very bony hand upon the bar as if to steady himself. A good bartender knows when to keep his mouth shut, and you never addressed a fellow's looks or his infirmity. If they wanted to share what was ailing them, they would let you know soon enough. Happy Christmas to you, sir. What can I get you? The barman asked politely. The barman had set up candles to make the place more festive, and an occasional flicker seemed to hint at a large grin underneath the hoodie. The gaunt man pointed to a bottle of single malt. The barman retrieved the bottle. This then, he asked, wanting to make sure, the slightest, slightest inclination of the hood. A nod then. 
The barman poured the gaunt man two fingers of scotch, then looked at him. A bony finger pointed to the top of the glass. The barman filled it, and the gaunt man put a coin down on the counter. As the barman was picking it up, the gaunt man took his drink and the bottle to a booth far and back, where even bright lights of sunshine never seemed to penetrate. The barman looked at the coin, which was a gold sovereign from 1843. That had to be far too much. Sure, it was Christmas, but a coin like this must be worth a hundred pounds or more. Perhaps the gaunt man was a rich eccentric, or perhaps he meant to pay for several rounds with friends not yet arrived. Deciding they could settle up when the gaunt man was leaving, the barman put the coin in a special compartment near the register where he kept large bills and once a diamond engagement ring. Shaking his head, the barman wondered if the coin might bring enough for him to buy his girl that dress she wanted. In the back, the gaunt man drank his scotch in silence. Outside, the entire transaction had been witnessed by the laughing man and the pale girl. The laughing man was tall, though not as tall as the gaunt man, but he was of an enormous girth, reaching easily 24 stone. He had bright red hair, a full beard, and a mustache that curled up at the ends quite on their own. He was dressed in a simple suit with a top coat with a fur collar. He carried a walking stick with a boar's head on the handle. On his head was a bowler hat with a sprig of mistletoe in the band. The pale girl was seven or eight and quite lovely. Her hair was such a pale blonde as to be nearly white, and her eyes were a solemn gray of an overcast sea. She was dressed in a pale blue velvet dress and a tiny top coat that had a sprig of holly on the lapel. In one pale hand was a small valise. The laughing man frowned, something he did not do often. I say, has he been here every night? His voice was a pleasant baritone, one suitable for announcers and radio personalities. Different bars, but always in the back, where it's darkest. Alone? She nodded. For over a week now, she said. Her voice was soft but mellifluous, the sort of voice an angel might have. The laughing man shook his head, not at all happy. If something is troubling him, why not come to us? Perhaps he is too proud, said the pale girl. Perhaps he is afraid. Him? Afraid? Now the laughing man did laugh, a hearty, booming guffaw that caused passerbys to laugh and wave. The laughing man tipped his hat to them and bent down to the pale girl. How can he be afraid? He is fear incarnate. He is the writer of the nightmare. The pale girl looked up at him and nodded. But we are his family, and so we have a special place in his heart, a spot where fear might yet reside, and sadness. But what is he sad about? What ails him? asked the laughing man. But instead of answering, the pale girl was heading into the bar, and the laughing man had to hurry to catch up. The gaunt man did not look up when the laughing man and the pale girl entered the bar. He'd known the minute they began peering at him through the window. It didn't make him angry. In truth, nothing could penetrate this miasma of sadness that settled on him like a pernicious fog. The barman pointed to the pale girl while addressing the laughing man. No kids allowed in this establishment, sir. The laughing man turned to the bar in a motion that was quick and surprisingly nimble for one of his size. He motioned the barman to come closer with a conspiratorial gesture. The barman drew close and the laughing man lowered his voice. That's my brother, he said in what seemed genuine sadness, and that's his little girl, my niece. We're trying to get him to come home for Christmas. I thought she might be more persuasive, you see, and the barman nodded. Just make it quick. I don't want to be sacked on Christmas Eve. The laughing man nodded and then produced a coin with a flourish. For your trouble, the two walked toward the back and the barman looked at the coin. Gold Sovereign, 1843. Now he was a bit worried. What if these coins were stolen, perhaps from a rich collector with ties to the police and the mayor? But if they were, wouldn't they have just spent regular money or wanted change? And him letting a family talk on Christmas Eve was hardly worth a hundred or so pounds. The laughing man and the pale girl sat opposite the gaunt man. Normally, no one would be able to sit next to the laughing man in such a small space, but he did not have his great coat on, and the pale girl was no larger than a wisp. The gaunt man raised his glass in an ironic toast and drained it. 
The pale girl tugged on the laughing man's sleeve, and he inclined his head. She whispered in his ear. She whispered in his ear, and he listened. Then went pale. Emily says you want to quit. The laughing man said, gesturing to the pale girl. It was not her real name. They had been in their respective positions so long they had forgotten their true names. The pale girl had decided that she liked the sound of Emily, at least for now, and had asked that they call her that when it was just the three. Doting on her as they always did, they let her christen them Uncle Marbletown, the gaunt man, and Uncle Greathorn, the laughing man. It's true, isn't it, Uncle Marbletown, she asked, her tiny forehead suddenly lined with worry wrinkles. The gaunt man sighed, and the temperature in the bar plummeted ten degrees. Several patrons gathered their coats tighter around them, and the barman checked the thermostat. But surely you know you can't quit, protested the laughing man. If you go, none of it works, and we shall all be in peril. Unhappy, the gaunt man wheezed, and a a mouse under the table with a crust of bread became so despondent it rushed home to check on its family, leaving the choice morsel behind. The gaunt man reached for the bottle, but it was empty. He motioned to the barman, but that good fellow was too busy seeing to a group of students who were ushering in Christmas with spirits. The gaunt man excused himself and went to fetch another bottle. Liquor had little effect on him, and his gait was unimpeded, save for the fact that his hooded head hung low. The laughing man shook his head. What will the August company say, he asked wordly, and what about the author? The pale girl patted the laughing man's ruddy face. It's all right, she said, smiling sweetly. I have an idea. What sort of idea, my dear? You and I are going to give him a Christmas present. But he doesn't need anything. Doesn't she? Doesn't he? She asked and smiled. The gaunt man returned with his bottle and a glass for the laughing man. He also had a hot cocoa for the pale girl who sipped it gratefully. She wiped some whipped cream from the end of her nose and regarded her gaunt uncle with solemnity. You're tired of being the gaunt man, aren't you? There was a long pause, and then the gaunt man nodded. You'd like a try at something else, perhaps something cheerier? Now he looked at them, and his eyes burned like coals. Any mortal would have been afraid, but there were none such in that little booth that night. But he is the gaunt man, the laughing man protested. He always has been. But nothing says he has to be, the pale girl said. There's nothing that says we can't trade off. The two adults looked at her thunderstruck. It was an idea that might only occur to a child, and its wisdom and simplicity were as sublime as the pearlescent gray of her eyes. The laughing man slowly grinned, then laughed a great laugh. The candles in the bar burned more merrily, The barman discovered to his shock that the far end of the bar was suddenly laden with a lavish Christmas feast. He called his girlfriend as the patrons began to help themselves. In the rear of the four crowns, the three regarded one another. A moment of wordless communication passed, and then they nodded. The barman looked up as they left. He had meant to bring up the coins, but thought perhaps he had imagined them, for here the patrons from the back were leaving, and they seemed so very different from what he remembered. In front was a pale boy with red hair. Behind him came an immensely large man with blonde hair and a beard, looking like something out of Norse mythology. And bringing up the rear was a tall woman, impossibly old and gaunt, her hooded cloak pulled tight around her, her face in shadow. Happy Christmas, the barman called, and the gaunt woman tossed him his third gold sovereign. And as the revelers of the four crowns began to sing of Good King Winslow's, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future went out into the night. Yay. Yeah, it was Yay. cool. You know, you know what I was sitting there thinking the whole time? I'm like, what That's do these so represent? Cool. What, what metaphors are these? And then I, for, yes. for some reason at first I was thinking it was like the four horsemen. I don't know why. It was like death, pestilence, famine. Uh-huh. I know. Then I was like, but when, when's the fourth one going to come along? Then I was like, wait a minute. Ghosts of Christmas past, present, future. So oh, Good cool. for you, Amber Yeah. Rose. Having a conversation, trying to deal with their own problems. <laughs> <laughs> that was super cool. That was great. Um, yeah, what, if you, do Thank you. Want, you. Do you want to give us another one? Sure. All right. So this one is called Christmas the Old Way. 
Every Christmas we come down from the crumbling and mold-ridden shops and homes of our town to the black and heaving sea, where our relatives emerge from the waves with presents, special delicacies, and toys fashioned for the young of bone and coral, shell and gem. For our part, we bring nameless things from the forests and mountains and toys for the young ones of bone and stone, wood and web. Then we feast for an entire week on black widow egg wine and squid ink lager, heaping trays of venomous vermin and poisonous rockfish. We stuff ourselves on raw eels and frisky beetles and eat shark eye pie and hornet sting cakes. Finally, the big day comes, and the youngest are tricked out in all the finery we have brought in large trunks from the caves and footlockers from the sea. They dance and flap and caper about, their clothes the only human things about them, and our aunts and uncles play eerie music on bone flutes and bladder drums, and we all laugh and sing the old songs. And come midnight on Christmas Eve, we all look to the skies, waiting for the first jingling of bells. At last, we hear them. My sister starts to cry, and I sweep her up in my clumsy arms, my fused fingers making it difficult. But I hold her up and kiss her, and comfort her in the guttural tongue of joy. And then, enormous tentacles, covered in bells, descend from the roiling clouds above and seize one, two, three, four, five, six, my sister among them. They are hoisted into the clouds, and we dance until dawn, then fall into exhausted sleep under slick oilcloth tarps and overturned skiffs safe from the punishing sun. Later, as we dine on the traditional breakfast of jellyfish, jellyfish puddings and bare-lung pasties, their pulverized bones rain down from high above, and it is just like snow. Ooh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so cool. Excellent. So that's that's my salute to uh, HP. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's so awesome. Did you say you had three or four that you wanted? I have four. I have one that's uh, rather short, and the other one's, I think, um, oh, it's fairly short, too. All right. Yeah. Um, should I just go ahead? Go right and ahead. You can edit for time if need be. Yeah, yep. go right ahead. No problem. Okay. This one is called Santa Claus versus Dracula. Dracula had had it. He prided himself on being the Prince of Darkness, the scourge of Transylvania, the bloodthirsty count who terrorized mortals the world over. To know his name was to know fear. Vlad Dracul, Dracula. And yet every Christmas, people refused to lock their doors at sunset and cower inside. They waited for the coming of his mortal enemy, Santa Claus. Oh, how he hated that name. Well, no more, he decided. Tonight he would pass his curse on to the most beloved figure in childhood, and his reign of terror would reach epic proportions. The Count had been watching a particular neighborhood in Muscool, Ohio, looking for the best boy or girl. He knew people would expect him to be in some major metropolitan era wreaking havoc, but a town of less than 5,000? Not bloody likely. He finally chose Megan Collier, who is five and an insufferable goody-goody. And just before midnight, he turned into a fog and drifted under the front door, then reassumed his dread shape. He noted with disgust the Christmas tree, the stockings over the fireplace, the glass of milk and plate of cookies with M&Ms baked into them. Dracula thought of spitting into the milk, but didn't want to alert the Kringle to his presence. He crept quietly as a cat into the room of Megan Collier. He tripped over the child's backpack, but swiftly changed into a bat and didn't crash into any furniture. Regaining human form, he listened for any sounds of alarm. There were none. Then, silently and deadly as marsh gas, he slipped into Megan's closet and waited. Inside, the Count's supernatural eyesight adjusted instantly to the dark, and he saw the closet was filled with princess outfits and stuffed toy unicorns with big trusting eyes. The Count sighed unhappily, but stayed hidden. He could hear the child just outside the door, sleeping peacefully. Oh, how he wanted to creep out of the closet and scare her. 
then feed on her biting and come out of their count. It was a deep voice, stern and commanding. Certainly no little girl. Dracula prepared himself to do battle and exited the closet. Instantly, he was seized by several of Santa's elves. They were small but surprisingly strong and held him fast. Santa approached him and wagged a pudgy finger. Vlad Dracul, I used to bring you sugar cookies, turta dolce, and wooden swords. Now look at you, on the permanent naughty list. Then go ahead and kill me, Kringle, Dracula snarled. Your reputation will be ruined, and I shall triumph. Santa laughed. <laughs> I am not going to kill you, you bad boy. I'm going to rehabilitate you, acclimate you to a diet of gingerbread and cocoa. By the time we are finished, every child will love you and call you Uncle Drat, Drac, or Cousin Batty. Never, the vampire spat. With my fangs, I will lay waste to your workshop and all your... Yes, yes, said Santa, clearly unimpressed. He gestured to a tiny woman only two feet high. She had iridescent wings and carried a giant pair of pliers. Have you met my friend, the Tooth Fairy? <laughs> That's awesome. I love that one. <laughs> so Thank good. You. I am surprised that there hasn't been a Hollywood movie like Dracula versus Santa. Yeah, really. I, I'm surprised they, that they, hasn't they been done. every other property. Mom, I know. You got that? Freddy versus Jason. You got all kinds of stuff out there. I'm surprised that one hasn't been done yet. <laughs> when I post when I posted that, there's a great picture of Bella Lugosi as Dracula sitting at a table with Santa Claus. <laughs> I think it's, that's, it's just wonderful. I think that's a fun combination. That's a, like seriously, that's a combination I've never thought about. And and imagining those two together and kind of yeah, Dracula sort of like being against him, and then Santa sitting there like, I want to rehabilitate you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you good. We're going to pull those fangs out. Meet the Tooth Fairy. Like, I got this. <laughs> Have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So the last one is kind of sweet, um, and, and it's brought some um, very cynical people to tears. Ah. So I'm not promising anything, but uh, <laughs> this is called Volpecula. When she was born, her parents named her Zanzibar because her mother always thought it sounded magical. Since Zanzibar was a bit unwieldy for a little girl, they took to calling her Zoe. Zoe was a happy child and had two best girlfriends in their building, Bethany and Jacqueline. But Bethany's father got a job in Arizona, and Jacqueline's family went to take care of her grandma in Oklahoma. Sure, she still had friends at school, but no one who was a best friend. Zoe turned seven and decided more than anything she wanted a pet for Christmas. A kitten, a puppy, even a hamster. She just wanted a pet of her very own. But her parents told her the apartment manager didn't allow pets, and they couldn't afford to make him angry. Someday, perhaps, they'd have their own house, and then she could have a pet. Zoe cried, even though she knew there was nothing her parents could do. What about a goldfish, her father asked. She shook her head. She wanted a creature to hold and love. You couldn't pet a fish. And she thought snakes, lizards, and spiders were icky. Zoe told them maybe Santa would bring her a pet, and they explained that the landlord wouldn't care where the little creature came from. It would have to go. That night, when the house was dark and silent, Zoe crept out of the bed to the window. She found the brightest star and wished on it and wrote a letter to Santa, too. She let the wind carry it, she let the wind carry it, knowing it would find its way to the North Pole. As children know, Santa gets all their letters, and stars hear all their wishes. The wishing fairy paid a visit to Santa in his workshop. They both agreed Zoe was a deserving child and would love a furry companion with all her heart. They also agreed that the landlord was a problem. Then they both had the same idea and smiled. The wishing fairy and Santa Claus combined their magic and gestured toward the heavens. It was two in the morning when Zoe woke up. A light in the window had awakened her, and she got up to see what it was. There, sitting on the sill, was a most remarkable creature. It was like a small fox, only made of midnight and stars. Hello, it said. My name is Vulpecula. Hello, Zoe whispered. I have been given life, so you may have a pet. Zoe reached out and touched him, wondering if he'd be cold like the night 
or hot like the sun. He was warm and soft and made a little trilling sound as she pet him. Do you live in the sky, she asked. I do, but I am so small I do not think anyone will miss me. Will I be all right until a real animal comes along? Zoe hugged him then, and the little girl and the little fox were happy. And so they remained companions for many, many years. One Christmas Eve, when Zoe was very old, she went to sleep for the very last time. When she awoke, she found she was made of midnight and stars, and Vulpecula was there waiting for her. Hello, he said, and Zoe smiled. And now they roam the heavens together, and they are happy to this day. Oh, my God. I want a Vulpecula right now. I actually, I... (laughs) As soon as you described him, I immediately like started thinking of like how he would be illustrated, because I think that'd yeah. be such a cool picture. Yeah, yeah, I want yeah. one. I want one. And There's I like actually that name. a constellation called Vulpecula. Ah, oh, okay. Which is a fox. Okay. And um, this story is not in my Christmas ghost stories. I'm going to be working on a second collection, and that one's going to go in there. Ooh, so that's just brand new for the listeners, unpublished. You know, it's funny. It's funny that story. It does hit home because, um, well, we've talked about our our kitty on the show here. We have a we got a cat earlier this year, and as everybody, the listening audience knows, I've never really been one for pets. I, I had a well, I had a pet before, but it's a long story. Uh, but I've never really had a cat before, and so when this thing came along and the, and she's a senior cat she's a senior cat also yeah uh. but i was my initial response was like no we can't do this i don't want a cat it's just too much work and i'm not a cat person i'm allergic and blah 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 blah. and so we worked the whole thing out and said the person who had the cat said look if you can't if it doesn't work out bring her back we'll take care of her it's fine um so well here we are now what now that'd be like 10 months later, Amber. Yeah. Uh, and that cat is the boss of this house now. She's she, our child. She is our damn child. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, the funny thing is... Go ahead. What's her name? Her name... It, well, well... We got about 50 names yeah, for her. Yeah, it's... Okay, so the, the 101-year-old lady that had her and died... Yeah, she was a She had named wow. her Jenny, yeah. which was her grandma's name. Yeah. And I always feel weird calling pets human names i don't know what it is and, and and then plus i have in my head when i when i say jenny i think forrest gump jenny jenny and so it never was Jenna. a name <laughs> it was never a name that like connected with me and she didn't seem to respond to it anyway and so now she's just got these pet names and the one that stuck which is just a horrible name is baby girl <laughs> So like the kids. Oh, well, that's not bad. Well, it's not bad, but it feel, and it feels more pet like. But literally, it's like baby girl, baby girl, baby girl, and she seems to come to it even. So yeah. well, it'd be better if you were down south, maybe. Yeah, baby girl, you know. baby girl. Come here, baby girl. There was a, actually on uh, recently circulating on Twitter, or Instagram, or something. There was someone that did a little ten second clip of their cat that sounds like it has a southern accent. Oh my god! Yeah, well, hi. And, and it was like, yeah, it was like meowing, like me meow, but it sounded like wow, well, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hi. But, well, no, I was saying, like, that hearing that story 10 or 11 months ago, I've been like, oh, that's a really, that's a, that's a, that's a cute story. But hearing that now, after 10 months with the cat. Like, like just, she's our Vulpecula. Yeah, like, yeah, literally mm-hmm. just, to, you know, so, just like systematically every day softening my heart up every single day we have like this cat. Like the Grinch. Um, I hear a story like that now, and I literally just melt down on the inside. I really do. Oh, I know. It, I know. We've got three cats here. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Well, you know, and it's funny because, I mean, I, I never understood. I'm like, why, why do all these people put all their pictures on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff of their, <laughs> of their goddamn pets all the time, right, of all their animals? And I now, get it now. Here I am every other day shooting a picture of our of our beautiful cat going, this is the most wondrous creature I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. It is amazing. Look, here she is eating. Here she here, is just here, walking. Yeah. Here she is just sitting. She's sleeping. Here's a close-up of her paw. I know. You, it's, it's like being a parent where you think nobody's ever seen a kid <laughs> yeah. eating before or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. You yeah. Know? It's but, like, but it's my kid or it's my pet doing it now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, it, but I get that now. And 
I get a story like that now too. I get Volpecula, uh, and that's what makes that that a very special story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Mark. I really mean that. Oh, you're very welcome. That, you're that, very welcome. That's going to stick with me for a while now. I guarantee you. <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful story too, and it's true because you know I mean, not to go too far in the weeds with this too, but I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I have had pets before, and they and I have felt that 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 attachment and. That loss too, because they're not around forever, right? No, uh, that's that's the sad thing it's about a sad having a pet. Thing. You know, and you know, I, I guess with cats especially, um, there's just something there because they're so pissy sometimes. <laughs> but you, <laughs> yeah. but you can't get in. I can't. I'm like, because she's gotten mad at me a couple times. Yeah, but just because. Well, I can't get mad. Rightfully at her. so. Like I think maybe you hit her arthritis or something. Yeah, you know? I touched it's, her the wrong way, and she. Yeah, shot but at she's me. not a jerk cat because no, I've met nice cat. jerk cats. She's a nice kitty. Yeah, she's a good kitty. So, oh yeah, we all have. Yeah, yeah, she's a nice kitty. But no, thank you. I I really mean that. Thank you for sharing that with us because that that that's that really sums up to me. That's what sums up the holidays too. Is is stuff like that. Is is good feelings like that. Um, and yeah, I can't stand up how cool that is. You know, a, a couple things. A couple other things here. Um, you do you do a lot of other stuff. And Amber was raving on about this before the show, and I don't know if you want to hop in here or not, Amber. Um, but you also write science fiction. Am I correct? Yes. I do. I, I actually have a science fiction collection um, whose name is escaping me at the moment. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> oh, it's, it's right. Tales, Tales from Tomorrow. Okay. Uh, as far as, I mean, as far as like in the science fiction, it's something I was curious about too. Um, do you ever explore like the scientific basis for ghosts and other things within like those stories? Cause I mean, I'm fortunate. I apologize. We haven't read those stories, but ha- do you explore stuff with ghosts like that in, in those stories or is that or, something or supernatural paranormal or is it stuff that, within the realm of science fiction? Or is it something that's separated? Um, no, I, I do look at that sometimes and I've, I've found um, sometimes people don't like that. I wrote a, I wrote a zombie novel actually where the zombies were the result of these, um, parasites from Venus. Okay. Came back in a space probe because in George Romero's night of the living dead, they mention a probe coming back from Venus on the radio before, before everything goes to hell. Mm -hmm. And some people have theorized that that was the start of the zombie apocalypse. So I had these really loathsome creatures that looked like a tarantula with a scorpion's tail. And, um, you know, they they burrow into you and then they kind of hook up into a new nervous system. Gross. And um, people were so angry <laughs> that I didn't just have it, you know, be people biting each other. And so I think um, sometimes... Sometimes that goes over if you say, well, you know, this is this ghost is an energy manifestation or yeah. something measurable. You know, I mean, even ghost hunters and stuff are using tech, you know, rather than a Ouija board or a medium or something, you know, to, to find ghosts. Oh, yeah. And Ghostbusters, of course, had a science basis. Um, and um, there's a great – one of my favorite authors is Robert Sheckley, who wrote, wrote science fiction – and he has a book called Immortality Incorporated, and they actually have um, switchboards where you can talk to the dead. Oh, you go neat. into a little booth, and you know you can actually talk over this device to somebody who's departed. And um, you know it's like they've learned to harness you know that energy or to at least communicate with it in a technical way rather than through a spiritualist or something. Well, you know, and there's an, there's arguments on both sides. Uh, we we we've seen it all, and yeah, you do you you do have. And I mean, we were just talking with our well, Tim Shaw, a friend of ours. We had him. We talked to him a couple of days ago here on the show, and I listened to that. Oh, did you? Oh, did you? Yeah, very very cool guy. Loved him, and we had that yeah. conversation. We talked a lot about that. Uh, about you know where. I mean, yeah, and I I love tech. I and I'm a, I'm a, I'm immersed in it also. Um, however, you know, I think it's come to a, you get to a certain point where it's like, look, I need to experience this thing. I need to, 
I need to be in the moment, like what we were talking about with Tim. I need to be in this moment and not be staring at the face of my device that I'm working sure, with. Sure, but in respect to this yes. this book about having a like a telephone operator system to yeah. talk to the dead, yeah. it's similar to also in the paranormal when we talk about ITC and the yeah, devices yeah. that these researchers are using to try and communicate They're with the other side. Phenomenal. Um, and, and saying that there is going to be a possible bridge to the other side via our our our. our Technology. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. no, go and ahead. I think that's, I want to just comment on the one of the cool aspects of science fiction is that it always seems to be predicting something. There's so many sci fi writers, I think back in the day, contemplated what something would be like in the future, and then it kind of starts to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, and Mark, I'm curious what your, what your thought, your, like your viewpoint is on that. I think science fiction writers like yourself. You get you you may be the people that are actually conceptualizing these ideas before for the people that actually build the stuff or actually figure out how it may actually exactly. work. I this, mean, was, this was the legacy of the original Star Trek is yes. that you now have people yeah. who grew up on the show trying to create a transporter or a replicator and they're really close to um a tricorder, you know, like a medical tricorder where you can just run a scanner over somebody and say, okay, well, this person has emphysema or they've got this or they've got that, you know, and they were inspired, you know, and now they're trying to make it happen, as you said. Well, and um, the thing, the thing too, I mean, just think about this one. I mean, in, in, in respect to Star Trek, I, and I've talked about this, I've used this example before on this show. Now on Star Trek, they have the, they'd have the voice to video communication. They'd be looking at a screen, talking to somebody, having a real-time conversation with somebody, right? Which don't yeah. seem, which to, you know, during that time, that was like, wow, all we can do is talk to each other on these telephone things we have over wires, right? right? Now we have devices that can wirelessly, where we can have a communication over Skype, for example, like one tool, Skype, um, where we can have a video face-to-face communication with somebody. We have a conferencing systems where I work at where we can have big conferences and we can have five or six different groups at a time all be in one conversation, right? And that's like magic yeah. if you think about it uh, for that time when in regards to Star Trek. And that's happening right now. But 40 or 50 years ago, that was just an idea. And it seemed like, wow. And now it's like, and I, I appreciate that. I really do. Because, yeah, it's something, it is technology. It's something that we've really moved forward on. I think it's, I, and it's so simple. It's such a simple thing, it seems like. Um, but pe- we're doing that. I think that's just super cool. Um, are you familiar with Neil Stevenson by any chance, the, sci- the sci-fi yeah. writer? Um, he's one of my yeah. he's one of my favorites. I always grab one of his books, and I mean, his stuff gets very, very, very technical, very technical. Uh, I just finished his newest book, um, Fall or Dodge in Hell, which kind of um, revolves around the idea of uh, what would be uh, reality inside of a gaming world, like your life would be in there, like after oh. death. Like, I, I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, after death, like living after you die in a digital world. And, um, you know, he's always been one of those guys, too. I mean, he's, he's had these really insane ideas about things. like and Because he comes from, Neil comes from an engineering and coder's perspective, though, too. But again, I th- he's no different than any other, any other sci-fi writer. I think he's laying a lot of ideas down that I think the nerds, the the, the dorks, the whatever you want to call them, they're the ones that read this stuff and go, "I want to figure out how that really works." This there's got to yeah. be a way to make this thing work. I think that's why I think sci-fi is, if not one of the, if not the most important genre of like I guess entertainment, books, movies, whatever you want to call them. Um, I mean, I think that's it's it's the most important thing out there because that's what drives technology. I think for for us as a race, uh, I, th- I think a lot of times. But I think also when you're dealing with the supernatural, um, even if you're trying to find a scientific basis for it, or even if you're trying to um, perhaps dispute it, there has to be a certain amount of faith, you know, um, that maybe there are ghosts or vampires, or extraterrestrials, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah. You you have to have a bit of a belief in it, or at least in the phenomena, um, before you, you know, can, can analyze it, and maybe quantify it. But I think, too, there's a danger sometimes. I mean, I'm all for science. I love science. But I also, you know, love stories and, uh, 
you know, mythology and everything. And I think sometimes you can lose something if you're constantly just trying to reduce something to numbers and statistics. Well, yeah. I mean, if we had the answer to everything, what would there be to wonder about? You know, I mean, that oh, exactly. Idea. I mean, I don't think we ever will really. No, we, and I, I don't mean, think we will either. But I mean, there is that idea that if you knew everything and that, you know, that's the, the idea of what life is like, how, what makes life exciting, I guess, is just that is if we had the answers to everything, then we'd have nothing to wonder about. And that would be kind of boring. Because you know everything, you you have all the answers, uh, and I think that's kind of what you're you're doing every day, going down the trail of life is trying to get answers and solve problems, and that's kind of what makes things interesting, I guess. Yeah, and just trying to enjoy yourself, hopefully along the way. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. Have friends or loved ones, and uh, yeah, you know that's what makes that's what makes life. Mark, thank and, and, you. Yeah. Yes. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off there, man. Jeez, oh, Pete. <laughs> yeah. I, I was wa- in my reverie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wanted to thank you, Mark. This has been so cool. I want to thank you for sharing these stories with us, too. Uh, this oh, was, I this really was, appreciate it. Was, I appreciate your time and yeah, for inviting man. me. And, um, and it's, just, it's been a real joy to talk to the both of you. Now, um, you mentioned also that you're working on a second book of Christmas stories. I heard you say that a few minutes ago, correct? Yes, you did. Well, when uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Uh, maybe when that, when that drops or whatever, we'd love to have you come back on and have a conversation with us again. It'd be great. Okay, great. And I, I do have a book called Dark Valentine's. So, you know, when that time rolls around, um, ooh, ooh. if you feel like yes. that. Actually, um, yeah. Awesome. You know what? That's not going to be, that's <laughs> around the corner, too. Yeah. Done. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be talking to you then, it sounds like, Mark. Okay, great. <laughs> Mark, thank you again. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. Thank for Thank you. For me, too. And um, I just thank you both. And um, it was, I had a great time. Ghostly Talk. <laughs> Did you ever say that to